Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the cheesesteaks in the seven level. Uh, it's been a, a hot minute since we last talked to you guys. Uh, I don't even know last time recorded, maybe a month at this point, but uh, I have moved into my new uh, apartment. Uh, unpacking my life uh, is in the process still, but uh, yeah, I got everything for the podcast out and ready. Uh, but here we go uh, with our first episode. Well, it feels like a long time. Um, so I'll probably mess up at some point here, but we'll we'll get through it. Uh, but Austin, today's episode, just going to go over uh, the Eagles-Steelers preseason game on Thursday night and maybe talk a little bit of the Phillies uh, while we're at it. Obviously, we wanted to record earlier this week when the Phillies were coming off their eight-game winning streak. It looked like they were turning the corner and maybe – they're going to ride a hot streak towards the end of the season. Uh, but a week later, they are now um, well, in second place in a game out of first place uh, after a two and six week. But uh, we'll get into that. Uh, let, let's get let's get right into this Eagles game. It was, uh, it was it was nice to have football back on the television. Dude, I was so happy to watch football. And I know it was like probably the crappiest football we're going to see. But I am so happy I got to watch any sort of football. Just because the Phillies have been so frustrating, the Sixers were so disappointing, and the Flyers were a total disappointment. So, like, we were just in this lull of we need something positive. And Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, going into the game, I didn't know what to expect. I know, like I said, it's the first preseason game with any sort of football. But that was the most ready I've seen a team for a game in, what, since 2017? Yeah, the, the, I mean, for for game one of the preseason, the, the birds really uh, looked ready to come out and play, which is encouraging concern that it is the first week of the preseason. And I think that's a little bit of that boost from having a new coach out there um, and just – having something to prove. I mean, this team has very little expectations from the media, from the fan base going into this season. So uh, when you have nothing really to carry expectation wise, you can go out there, just play and uh, have fun. You could say, Uh, but they definitely went out there early. uh, The first and second team I was impressed with uh, on uh, Thursday. And I guess we should stay for just uh, what it is. The Eagles did lose the game uh 24 16 uh but it's the preseason so uh the wins and losses really don't matter uh and i i think what we really will focus on here today is that first half um because that was the first team and second team offense and defense for the majority of it uh and we could talk about the second half then but uh yeah that first half uh first quarter first team looked really good uh on both sides of the ball Offense more so than defense, but I was impressed from what I saw. Yeah, and and just to go back real quick on just the readiness of the team, I think part of it is just that one of those pillars that Nick Sirianni talks about is accountability. You know, he, since day one, has talked about accountability, not just for his coaches, but his players, and I, I don't want to read too much into it, but it just seemed like, you know, Doug Peterson seems usually slow start, or, you know, a false start here, false start there. This, it, it kind of reminded me like it was preached, like you have to be ready. And it, it was encouraging. But like you said, um, 
the first half, I think I thought for that first uh, two series, I wasn't sure how long they were going to play the, the starters. But uh, Jalen Hurts didn't look bad. I know his his stats. I think what he was five of seven, three three of seven. Right. Yeah, two drops, which is a typical Eagle thing to do. And one one was Zach Ertz square in the chest, and it would have been a first down. But um, the other one, yeah. Yeah, the one throw you, you kind of wish he could have had back was the Quez Watkins deep ball, which, by the way, I love that play call by Sirianni. It is a ballsy, ballsy thing to do. No, yeah, that that I was – I like that – what was that? That was, uh, that was on the first, first and 10 on, at the <laughs> yeah. two-yard line. Yeah, I mean, a lot can go wrong there, and I don't know if that's a play call they'll go with during the regular season because the stakes are higher. But, yeah, I mean – so much can go wrong there. Uh, I forget if it was from the shotgun or from. Uh, yeah, it was shotgun. Yeah. Yeah, shotgun. Exactly. So even more so, shotgun. The chances of a ball being snapped over your head or too far to the left or right are there. And uh, yeah, that was a ballsy play call, but I liked it, and it almost worked. I mean, Quez. Uh, I, I, I. Yeah, Quez was just just missed it. I, I don't know if it was more of. Uh, Jalen was just a little bit inaccurate with it, or if Quez maybe tried to slow down a little bit, trying to catch, get he, to it, or I think he said the corner like slowed him down a little bit. Like he said, yeah. he said he got held a tiny, tiny bit. Yeah. But on first down, I really don't like. I don't mind it on a first down play because I think a team's looking at it, thinking you're going to run to try to get the yardage, and, yeah. which is what you're going to probably do most times. But I mean, if a team's going to expect you to run there. And you just take that shot. It one of you know if now you're not going to be on the two yard line most of the time, but it's going to catch teams off guard. And and I it really is. like that. It is. And uh, I mean, as we talk about Hertz here, uh, I I'll say I think overall Hertz played rather well in his uh what two series at quarterback. I uh, I was impressed when I saw his passes were accurate. I mean. That pass that he had to Zach Ertz, I believe, on the first drive, uh, over uh, it, it was it was over Ertz's uh, shoulder going across the field, uh, going across the middle. It was it was a beautiful pass right where he needed to place it. And if he can make that pass throughout the season, the Eagles' offense is just going to be fine. Uh, I, I was impressed with Hertz, obviously those two drops. But I mean, you add those two two drops, and he goes, he's looking at five for seven then for. Um, upwards of 70, 80 yards. Uh, I'll take that out of Hertz. Yeah, and the thing he spoke about at the end of the game, too, was negative and positive plays. You know, and, and the one thing you saw specifically that stuck out to me was when he was getting chased out of the pocket, he's rolling, he's rolling, and last year, Carson and probably Hertz try to do too much and either throw the ball deep or take the sack by accident and it was nice to see you know he's he recognized no option was open and he threw it away you know and, that, and that's just something we haven't really seen you know that's the and that's on that play that's a positive play because you know you're not taking the sack that's all that matters at that point is you're not taking the sack so you saw a little maturity too in um a couple of the plays there by Jalen. Yeah, I think the only play I didn't like out of Jalen was maybe that one where he took off 
Uh, I think it was on third down. I only picked up a few yards. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know if you mentioned that, actually. No, no. not watching. Uh, I, had a, I grabbed a quick bottle of water, so not sure if you mentioned that. But, yeah, I got the tail end of what you were saying there with Jalen. Uh, basically, yeah, he, he didn't make any plays he didn't have to do. He didn't force anything. That's something we saw, obviously, out of Carson a ton over the last few years. And if Jalen can get in that mindset of not forcing the big plays or trying to force a throw, Take what they try, forcing a first down when he doesn't have to, uh, it, it's going to benefit them uh, in the long run this season. Yeah, and, and I just think, especially if Sirianni's going to drill this into his head, you know, just don't force anything. I think it can only be a positive because, I mean, as long as you're making the right read and if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. You know, you can't do anything about that. But the man who did steal the show on Thursday night was Quez Watkins. Um, I mean, he was – every report was saying he easily looked the best receiver in camp. Obviously, Devonta Smith has been out with the MCL sprain. He is now day-to-day. But – I mean, they said Quez has been balling. He's been balling, catching everything, burning Slay, burning this guy. And, I mean, no one could catch him on that screen pass. Nobody. And just- yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm excited for Quez Watkins right now. Uh, it, it, I'm not expecting him to be a number two or maybe even a number three. But if he can be a guy you can rotate in every – draw every other drive every two drives and maybe get a 15 20 yard play out of him a game and then maybe a long touchdown every three four games i'll take that i'm not expecting him to put up superstar numbers but can he get you 20 to 30 receptions throughout the year maybe averaging over 13 15 yards per reception yeah i think so and i think that would be a big big boost to this offense uh, I mean, those numbers may be a little bit too much to uh, get to, but I, I think he could find a nice niche in this offense if he continues what he's shown this training camp and so far through the first week of the preseason. Yeah, and I, I kind of see him almost rotating with Jalen Rager in the, in the slot because yeah. he could be more of a vertical slot, and I know we didn't really hear Jalen Rager's name. I know you mentioned the drop. Um, we didn't really hear his name in that preseason game, but there were a couple plays where he did get open. You know, he like I believe there was one play where it was a uh, out, but he kind of cut inside and then went straight to uh, to the sideline. And I mean, he he left the corner in the dust. So if those two could use their speed and be a vertical slot, this this team with Devonta hopefully healthy you know, on the outside and maybe Travis Fulgham on the other side, you know, you're starting to look at some sort of receiver depth that we haven't really had. And quite knows? a ton. Right. Now. Yeah. I mean, R- Rager didn't have a bad uh, a game. He had that drop, like we said, but he's shown that I think he's made some improvements since last year. And we're not, we're not obviously going to be able to tell how big of improvements they are until we get into a regular season uh, and we go into week one against the Falcons. But right now, I, I think what Rager has taken a step forward. 
I think having a guy like Smith is going to help Rager. Not, not, not teaching wise, but it takes pressure off Rager now. Because mm-hmm. if they didn't have Smith, I mean, it would come down to Rager and Fogum as the number one receivers this year, and that's just no. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, I th- I think you could say that there could be a scenario where we look at Rager as maybe the number three wide receiver, depending on how Travis Fulgham performs this training camp, the rest of this preseason, heading into the regular season. Because, I mean, Smith is your number one as long as he's healthy. There's no doubt about that. And, yes, the number two is up for grabs, but I think a lesser role for Rager could benefit him. And, and having Smith also on the team is going to help Rager so much because Smith is going to take so much of the attention. And then you got if Fulgham's on the field at the same time, that's another guy that teams you, you just can't ignore him. And Rager, you you may be able to get Rager against a really good matchup because are you not you're not is a number, is a an opposing team not going to put their fastest guy on Smith? I just, I mean, well, they're they're gonna have to be putting their number one on Smith probably, and then yeah. their number two on Fulgham, and then it leaves a smaller, now a little faster corner on. on yeah, you're gonna Rager, get a slot, but shot. that's a mismatch because Jalen Rager is gonna be bigger than, you know, the slot guy, and he's probably yeah. still faster than the small five nine five ten corner. So yeah. Uh, and and Sirianni knows that, you know he he spoke about mismatches when he was first hired in his press conference. You know he said we we are more of a matchup based offense. It's not this guy's the number one, this guy's the number two. He's gonna look at okay, where's the weakness and what can, where can we attack that? And I know Jalen, I believe in the last couple practices and even in the uh, preseason game, he targeted the tight ends a decent amount and with those two tight ends, it's going to be a mismatch nightmare. Yep. The one receiver, I don't think we saw, we may have seen him just a tad. I don't even know if he played on Thursday. I'm interested to see what his role is this year. It's Greg Ward. I mean, mm-hmm. if Rager's taking over the slot, which I, I think is much beneficial to him, as we've mentioned here, Ward is, he could easily become the odd man out here if Watkins is breaking out. And I mean, I think Ward's a fan favorite. We all like Ward because, I mean, he's been a fun player to root for the last few years. But he just doesn't provide a whole lot in terms of explosive plays. I mean, he averages, I think, just over eight yards per reception for his career. That It's decent, but, I mean, that isn't going to get you. you. You need bigger chunk plays out of your slot guy. Yeah, he'd be a he's he's a good depth uh safety valve kind of guy. You know, he yeah. he somehow for converting over to a receiver, he gets himself open quite a bit. Yeah. And he I mean he catches a decent amount of those balls too. He doesn't really drop anything. So he'd be a good like third down kind of guy, you know, just a niche role like you were talking about. But yeah. um Um the other guy, I mean yeah, the one guy I want to talk about as we're talking about quarterbacks and receivers who, uh, I mean, it's not going to take a ton away from it, but Flacco, I thought looked quality. Sure. I, yeah. I mean, 
and that that's all he needs to be as a backup. I mean, we don't unless Flacco ends up starting for some reason. If he can just be an average quarterback, that's all that that'll be fine. And I think it was an encouraging sign from Flacco in this game that he played decently well. 10 for 17, 178 yards of touchdown. Now, 79 yards of those came from Quez Watkins uh, on that one touchdown, which I don't know if we talked about that touchdown yet specifically. But, I mean, he showed that when he gets the ball, he has a whole nother gear that he can just jump right into when he gets the when he gets the ball. I mean, you saw it against the Cardinals on that spin and then 30 yards. Oh, yeah. But that was, but that's the only time you really saw him. You didn't really get to see him because he was hurt last year. Yeah. But my God, that dude, he, I think he, there was only one key block that was there. Um, I forget who gave it, but I, he, like you said, he was gone. I mean, nobody could catch yeah. him. Nobody. And, and like you said, Joe Flacco. Number one, he is not going to press for this starter job. I know yeah. Nick Sirianni has not said that Jalen's the guy. However, he has taken every uh, first-team snap in practice. He took all the starter snaps in the preseason game. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to name him. He is giving Jalen every opportunity to be the starter. Um yeah. But it's funny because the Eagles, I believe, had interest in Joe Flacco in 2018 and last year mm-hmm. as a backup for Carson. Now, imagine if instead of Josh McCown coming in for Carson in that Seahawks game and Joe Flacco came in, you know, it, it might have been a different game. But, but um, I yeah, I thought he looked good. He had, I think, that crossing route to Quez. Uh, at one point, he he hit him in stride there. The he did have some poor throws, but yeah, I mean even the screen throw, the screen yeah. throw it was high. Quest had yeah. to jump for it. At, now it might have given him that half a second they needed for the screen to develop, but I mean it didn't hit him in the numbers. Yeah, uh, and I we're gonna talk about the defense in a second because I feel like we could talk about the defense for quite a bit. <laughs> depending on how much we really want to. Uh, but one player that I think it, another interesting battle here to watch is uh, Tyree Jackson uh, surprised me in this game. Uh, I mean, I, I thought he has some potential, but I mean, I think he could definitely battle Richard Rogers for that number three tight end spot here. I mean, I don't think they keep four tight ends, but uh, Jackson at what is he six seven two fifty? That's that's some nice size, especially down in the red zone to have. And I, I think the Eagles could have something with Jackson, uh, but we'll see the rest of the, the camp. Yeah, it was it was very interesting to me to see how he would kind of work being a tight end yeah. because quarterbacks typically don't want to really make contact. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not in their nature and. I mean, the dude wasn't afraid to go up and get a ball and and take a hit. You know, that's what you want to see, especially in preseason. Um, I mean, in practice, they were saying, you know, he looked good catching balls, this and that. But you you don't know what he's going to do because he can't he they're not going to hit him in practice or yeah, in in the training camp practices. But preseason games, a whole different story. And it it was nice to see him uh, not be afraid to 
go get a ball or or take a hit and I wouldn't mind it. I think they're going to try to me. I see them try to sneak him onto the practice squad. But he'll get snatched up, I think, if if somebody sees it there. Yeah, I agree. He's going to be a really tough guy to keep on keep on the practice squad if that's where he ends up with the Eagles. And then finally with the offense, finally another thought is uh, not a great game uh, for uh, one J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, just one target. I mean, targets aren't the best way. I mean, quarterbacks just sometimes have favorites, but, I mean, you also have to get open. Uh, this is a big camp and preseason for him. If he doesn't show up, I, I mean, I could see them parting ways with him. Um, so yeah, not great one for him. Uh, Unfortunately, he might beat out John Hightower and that's the only other person that could compete because I mean, if Quest is going to play like this in training camp and the preseason games, you you can't cut him. Greg Ward, they're probably not going to cut. And then Jalen Rager, Devonta Smith and Travis Fulgham are all locks. So someone has to get cut and, Jay Jaw is actually on the field, and John Hightower is not. That that's that's a good point right there. We'll, we'll have to watch those two as well. Let's scan this defense. I mean, for I thought the first team defense and second team defense in the first half were were pretty good, but I mean, the secondary is still going to be an issue. Uh, Steelers quarterbacks today. Today. on thursday went 29 for 37 258 mm-hmm. uh that's i, I i'm not gonna read too much into this one because and i don't think i will much into the preseason just sure. because jonathan gannon is not going to show anything it was that's it also was a, true you know it was a very basic four three that they mostly did end zone so it, it's hard for me to because he's not you know, stunting or he's not just doing any pre-snap, post-snap disguise like everyone thinks he's going to do. So it's very hard for me to think that. Now, my biggest issue I noticed was tackling, and part of it is they're not tackling in practice. Sure. I mean, how many runs did Najee Harris either break a tackle, jump a guy, or, you know, they just didn't wrap up? Sure. And I want to clarify with the secondary. I, I think the first team secondary will be decently fine. I mean, uh, Michael Jaquette was kind of in mid-season form, I guess you could say, on that one target in the first quarter. Uh, but I do worry about the depth at that position still, which I think we all agree is was an issue coming in the season. Probably will be an issue throughout the season. And it's been an issue since, I mean – even the brown even yeah i mean for the last decade plus um but yeah that's that's all i got left on the secondary uh what what, oh tackling yeah that was bad too dude that was so bad now i i was sitting there wondering why is Najee harris hurtling in a preseason game now i get he's trying to get as many every damn run yeah and and I get, like, you're trying to get as many yards, but, dude, that's how you're going to get hurt. If a guy starts expecting you to jump, I mean, you saw what happened in the Super Bowl. McLeod wasn't afraid to just 
take who was that Brandon? No, I don't think it was Brandon. It might have been Brandon Cooks, and just grab him around the waist and pile drive him into the ground. I mean, mm-hmm. like I understand it, but dude, like that you're you're way way too much, injured. way too much risk for week one of yeah. a preseason game. I mean, that's way too much risk for any preseason. I mean. That reminded me of, do you remember Carson's rookie year, his first game? He tried to do some hero ball type crap in like his first series or whatever, and he ended up breaking like a rib. Yeah. Well, that's what that reminded me of. Well, and it would also be different if like he was fighting for a spot, you know, like that would make sense. Like it's the third quarter and you're fighting for a roster spot. Dude, they took you with their first pick. Yeah. You're the future of that position <laughs> for your your team. You probably don't want to get hurt in your in a meaningless preseason game. I mean, yeah, that was just way too much hurling out of him. And I think I even tweeted that on the count. Like, <laughs> it's, it, it, that was ridiculous. I have Najee Harris. But, will, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I will say, though, um, Alex Singleton, I thought, had a pretty good uh, couple of series, especially yeah. because he was out with COVID for, what, the last two weeks or so? So yeah. he hasn't been practicing. He, I mean, he knows that I guess he kind of knows the system because he's had the playbook, but for him to go out there and literally almost every run or over the middle, I heard his name, him and, uh, who Eric, uh, I can't think of the oh, guy. Yeah. Um, Eric Wilson. Yeah. Both of them like flew around the ball. And yeah, Wilson had a nice tackle, I think, in the first series as well. Um, yeah, uh, I was impressed with those two. I thought Bradley was decent. Um, McPherson had, uh, in the secondary had some nice plays, but he does get handsy when he is getting beat. Uh, say That's another thing. These refs were calling, like, anything that was borderline DPI, they were calling in this one. Yeah. Um, one guy on the defensive line I want to talk about um, what is Milton Williams. Uh, I mean, on the stat sheet, I don't think he's going to stand out, um, but he's going to have a lot of pressures. He's going to have a lot of – he's going to – exactly, have a lot of pressures. He's going to be in that backfield a lot. I mean, on the one uh, – it may have been the only sack of the game, but I think McGill got the sack uh, – Williams was, I think, double teamed almost, and he just he still got into the backfield. I I think the dude's still a bit raw, and I still think there's going to be some development to be done. But I mean, we could be looking at a steal for that, and I think a lot of people were saying that when he was drafted too. But Williams could definitely turn out to be quite the steal for the Eagles here. Not only that, but he's learning from Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. You know, he's yeah. not exactly learning from guys who aren't that good. Not only that, I uh, Javon Hargrave looked really good too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, on that defensive line. And and it's really encouraging because I remember last year everyone was killing him. Yep. Oh, we overpaid this guy, you know. And now like I've heard he's he's looked a lot better in camp. I know he tore his peck last year, but it was encouraging to see him like if he and Fletch are good to go to start the season, I, that interior defensive line is going to be scary. Not only that, but like you said, Milton Williams, he's going to come in and out. Um, 
here and there, but I mean, it, like you said, it could be a steal if if Milton Williams he he does that. What have shorter arms? I think that's like the biggest knack or nick they have on them. Yeah, I I think that I think you're right with that. Um, overall, I thought the defense obviously in the first half was good. Uh, they only let up seven points. I'm not sure the yardage. Uh, second half defense though. Definitely was poor, uh, blown assignments, blown coverages. No well, second cover. half everything for the Eagles. Yeah, second half Nick, everything. Nick I mean, Mullins. we didn't. Nick Mullins, one for five, four yards and two interceptions. I mean, you look at it, the Eagles only had 40 plays in this game. Um, and 40, 42 plays because of two sacks. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, not, not great in the second half by either side, but – I'm not going to really worry about the third team right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> because if the third team, if that many third team players are playing in the regular season, they're going to lose anyway. I mean, you saw it last year, Craig James and Michael yeah. Jaquette played. So, I mean, but we saw Michael Jaquette <laughs> on the first team this year. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, the only other thing really from that game, I guess, besides uh, Jake Elliott, it was good to see him make a couple field goals. Uh, was, but we know he can make the long one. Yeah. Well, he had only hit two last year, I believe, from 40. So sure. it was encouraging to see that. But uh, I did think it was interesting Miles didn't play. Yeah. I mean, that is interesting. But I guess to a point with Miles, it's kind of load management because he's been injury prone so far. Sure. Oh, like I. I think Sirianni said, you know, they want to keep him fresh, and I, I get it. I do. I, I get like, <laughs> I guess it comes down to: Do you think Miles Sanders is a good enough player to sure. not play in week one of the preseason? And I, yeah, probably. I, guess, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're not going to play your star quarterbacks week one, but he's not. Yeah, he he had a bad year last year for, yeah. for the most part. I would have liked to see him get a few touches, but yeah. I mean, because Shady used to play the first. Not only week. that, like you don't even have to do him carries; throw him the ball if you want him yeah. to work on something. Throw the ball. Just, just get him involved somehow. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see if Shady plays this upcoming week. Um, you mean, uh, you mean uh, Miles? Not yeah. I, w- I, w- I wish we had Shady. Is Shady still in the league? I know he was with yeah. Tampa, with Tampa, but uh, I don't know. I think he. Let's see. Sean I was trying to think Paul. if it was him or Levy on Bell. Agent. He's yeah, a free agent. Yeah, he's done. But um, but yeah, I, I like I'm not reading, Yeah, I'm not reading too much into it. I know a lot of people were like, "Oh, oh, he didn't play." Concern, and I'm like, no. Like, I mean, I, I think more. It's more of a concern for Carry on Johnson not to play, or yeah. whatever. Like, I mean, Jordan Howard got the carries, which. I mean, Jordan Howard didn't look terrible, you know. No, he didn't. But for carry on's sake, he, dude, you you got to play if you want to make this team. And from what I've heard, mm-hmm. he just hasn't looked good. Yep. Uh, any other thoughts on the uh, Eagles? No. Do you do you know when they play next? Uh, the Eagles. Day? I uh, the Eagles play next on. Uh, Thursday, the nineteenth at seven thirty against the Patriots. 
Um, and I believe is this a uh, are they are they are they camping with the Patriots? They this are. Week? I think they are. So it's yeah, it's the joint practice, joint practice, joint. Practice. I didn't realize this was a home game again. But uh, yeah, Let's see Mac Jones. I I mean I drafted him in my one dynasty league, so <laughs> got to cross my fingers. Um, yeah, so uh, they played this Thursday. They play next Friday, the twenty seventh, and then they're off uh, until September twelfth. So we have a week in between there. Uh, but September twelfth, Eagles Falcons, one p.m. But yeah, we still have two more preseason games till then. But I mean, f- season opener is less than a month away at this point. Uh, but yeah, I think that wraps up the Eagles portion of this podcast. Let's talk about the fight and fills uh, now for a little bit. It's Talking like about I, the fightings. I, I, if we were that, that would have been me if we were here a week ago, like we originally wanted to. It's been a whirlwind since we last recorded. I mean, when we last recorded, did we talk about the trade deadline yet? Um, no, we did not. No. Uh, we didn't. I'm gonna actually let me pull up just our last podcast. Uh, yeah, we, our last podcast was July 27th. Um, at least when we posted. So since then, the Phillies have played almost uh, 20 games, but yeah, so we're not gonna go through the trade deadline because everybody knows. I, my, my overall thoughts on the trade deadline. Was that I like picks up pick up a Gibson, even though it Phillies didn't really fit his style because they're bad at fielding and <laughs> CBP is a hitter's ballpark. Uh, Kennedy, I like that pickup, slip five the back end of the bullpen, even though he's kind of been giving up home runs it seems every time right now. But, well, and he had to get five outs one time instead of three. Yeah, his the usage <laughs> of him has been all over the place and quite annoying. But I, I thought the trade deadline for what this team is. I was good with it. I didn't want to go on. My biggest takeaway about Gibson is going into next year, I think the Phillies already have their rotation set because you, you're going to have Wheeler, Nova, Eflin, Gibson, and then you have five. Is that going to, I, I think the goal would be to have Suarez there at number five. But I mean, that's he's, your, he's pitching like a, like a fifth, you know? Like yeah, got, I mean, gotta give credit to Ranger Suarez for that. I mean, the I, dude's balling. Yeah, I mean that 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 was a big gamble by the Phillies to take him out of the bullpen where he was dominating all year and put him in the starting rotation. But that's what was needed here. But uh, yeah, since we last recorded or posted, the Phillies have played looks like seventeen games, and they have won all but five of them. They've gone twelve and five over that span. Uh, 16 games, sorry. So 11 5 over that span. Uh, I've been impressed with the Phillies of late. Now, you look at this past week against the Dodgers and Cincinnati, they won two and four in six games, which not not great. Not ideal, right. But, I mean, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. I mean, that team. Well, and Nola looked like he, you know, was going to have a good start, gets he, rained out. Looks like he turned a corner. He, he was dominating one of the best teams in baseball, one of the best offenses in baseball. I, I you felt like the Phillies were going to win that game if he if that didn't get rained out. Uh, and then let's fast forward today, and we'll get back to the rest of it. But 
Yeah, I mean, he, and this is what is going to be this, the design factor throughout the rest of the season. I think we I may have mentioned on the last podcast, if Aaron Nola does not pitch like the Nola we know, or even a half of what we know Aaron Nola to be, they have no shot. I mean, against the Dodgers, get, they need that Nola. But what he gave today against the Cincinnati Reds Sunday was just not ideal at all. Not ideal at all. I mean, he went less than six innings again. He gave up three runs. And this is just how it's felt all year. It's like he gets these hot stretches of like, you know, couple, like four or five starts. And then yeah. he does a dud, like a dud. And then you're like, and then, you know, like everyone was doing today, they start questioning, well, you know, we thought he was an ace. And Aces don't do this. And what really is frustrating about it is when he has these duds, it feels like a big game every time. That Today was a big game. They were tied with the Braves in the standings. If they, they, the, and the Braves were facing the Nationals. You, you, you knew there was a great chance that the Braves were going to win that game because the Nationals, I think, have lost like 10 straight games to this point. It, it's ridiculous. Um, they needed a win today, and I mean, is it a life or death situation? No. Are they if they play baseball like they should over the remainder of the year, will they be fine? Yeah, they'll probably still be in this. But I mean, he needed to come out today and give them six, seven solid innings, and what he gave them was just simply not enough. Especially when a guy like Nick Castellanos gets tossed in the first inning. Yeah, I that was insane. That. Yeah. Not only him, didn't somebody else get? I forget who. Yeah, David Bell, the manager of the Reds, former yeah. Phillies legend, got got yeah, tossed. He, I mean, it was just, that strike zone was horrendous today. Oh, it was like it was it was understandable for like them to be upset about that strike zone because every pitcher was painting out like the uh, righty side, and yeah. it was like it wasn't even close to a strike. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so two and four in the last games against the Dodgers. And Cincinnati is a good team. I mean, their pitching hasn't been great this year, but they're another great offense. I would have rather I would have liked to split these six games. I thought you'd go two and one again. I mean, one and two against the Dodgers, which they did, and go uh two and one against the Reds would have been ideal. It's not the end of the world that it didn't. I don't think it says that they are not a good team. I don't I don't know if it's fair to even call them a good team. I think they, I think they'll be fine. Uh, are they a playoff team? Probably not. In, in, in reality, they're average. Um, what do we say when when going into the season? Remember, we said the ceiling is what 87, 86, 80, 87 wins. 80, yeah, yeah, and that's what well, they're playing. Yeah, my, yeah, exactly. 86 wins because I said if everything goes right, I think this team's an 86 win team. If everything goes wrong. I think they still manage a way to find 76 wins out of this. And throughout this whole season, they've been around that 81 win mark, which or projected for 81 wins. I mean, after today, they are uh, 61 and 57. So right four games about 500. That's 85 wins. Um, but I, I guess what I should say is I don't think going two and four against the Dodgers and Cincinnati says that the Phillies aren't going to be able to stay in this race. I think they will because then at least 
is a bad division, and their schedule is rather easy. But I, I want to go back. I mean, that eight-game winning streak they had to start this month, picking up one against Pittsburgh and then winning seven straight against Washington and New York. That was some fun baseball, especially that series against the Mets. Everything lined up perfectly. It's alumni weekend. The Phillies were facing the division lead in Mets only a, ha- a game and a half back. or Yeah, a game and a half back, I think. Half game back. Um, going into, that no- in, into Friday night. They win Friday night. They're up half a game. They win Saturday. They're up a game and a half. And then to go into Sunday, Roy Halladay, retire- Jersey retirement or number retirement. Wheeler on the mound. That was a special performance. That was that was one of the best pitching performances we have seen since Halliday was a Philly, uh, and really since maybe 2011 Halliday outside of Hamels. Yeah, Hamels is no hitter, right? A, exactly. Hamels may have had one or other two starts, but that was one of the most Roy Halliday like performances we've seen uh, from a Philly since Halliday, uh, if not the most, um, which was terrific to see, and. You would have liked to see them carry that momentum against the Dodgers, but uh, those first two games just didn't stack up right for them, especially game one where you have Nola on the mound. He's dueling with Scherzer, but then once it becomes a bullpen game, the Phillies are in the hole because the bullpen, while it's been not above average but not below average recently, there it's you still can't rely on them that much. Game the next game, kind of the same thing. I know Gibson was a reliever in that game, which Girardi planned, but again, bullpen game, and, and they salvaged it on Thursday, which was nice to see. But yeah, a, a tough week this week. But I mean, this rest of the schedule is still there for the Phillies to make a run of this division. They go on a road trip this week to the West Coast, three with Arizona, three in San Diego. And then you come back, you get two against Tampa. But outside of those five games against San Diego and Tampa, you're looking at Arizona, Arizona, Washington, and Miami. Um, so, I mean, I think there's – that's three, six, eight, twelve, fifteen, eighteen games. Thirteen of your next 18 against three of the worst teams in baseball. Yeah. Take three of five – against Tampa Bay and San Diego. And then, what did I say, 13 against those other teams? Yeah. Go 9-4 and four in those 13, and I, I'll, I'll be happy with this next, this next stretch of games. Not only that, but you should, in the middle of that stretch, get Reese Hoskins back. You're getting Reese back real soon. Eflin should be back sometime in the upcoming I, two weeks. And that's what part of the crazy part, too, about that eight-game win streak was, was Hoskins didn't play. No, Hoskins and was it, out for the back half of it. Yeah, and especially against the Mets, I was sitting there going, dude, of course, you know, we're playing for the fir- for first place. And, and, I mean, Hoskins was hot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he even against the Nationals, he only played, I think, uh, two games but uh, yeah exactly they went through that eight game winning streak and they went through these last two series without reese which i think is important to say i mean they went two and four against two really good teams without one of their hottest hitters not only that but then you know first base i know he's not great at first base but 
I mean, you have what? You have Brad Miller there right yeah. now, and and you're alternating Torres and Bohm, which yeah, Bohm now is probably a bench guy, and Torres is batting out of his mind, by the way. I I don't think you can start. I don't know how you can start Bohm going until Torres slows down. I mean, Torres has just been a godsend for this team, and Bohm is just, I mean, you think he... At the plate, he's been decent, but the dude is so bad in the field that it's it's hard to watch, and he's hurting them so much. Uh, just it, it's it's hard to justify playing him. Yeah. But yeah, I mean they they went through this week, but you you can see this team is getting pieces back in the next couple of weeks. Hoskins and F one are huge. They got Brogdon back recently. I think Brogdon was on the was out for a little yeah. Um Falter came back off the COVID list. That's big. Sam Kroonrod is starting a um rehab assignment soon. I know he hasn't been great this year, but it's a boost. And you know who's gonna be the X factor here? Sir Anthony Dominga. True. Yeah, he could come back like and just that's one less I'm not expecting him to come out and dominate, but I mean, the and I this has been thrown around so much, but this is feeling like the 2007 type team there, where the Phillies. I'm not saying the Phillies; it's the start of something yeah. special for the Phillies, but that team in August and early September had to stay afloat and stay in the race as much as they could while they got some pieces back healthy. Dominguez could be a huge boost if he come back and just be average to above average. Hector has been pitching pretty well. I know he gave up a home run today, but Hector's been good recently. Alvarado is what he is. <laughs> Kennedy is going to be solid most nights. There is there is a avenue here for the Phillies to stay in this race and potentially win this division with them getting healthy. It's just going to come down to, I think, the middle. I, I'm comfortable with the back end of the bullpen, actually. Because if, as, obviously, Hector can go off the rails anytime. But if Hector keeps play, pitching well, because he's not being a closer, he's playing, he's pitching where he should be. Kennedy is solid. Hector's solid. Brogdon is mostly solid. That's fine, yeah. Alvarado can be absolutely wild, but I think he's good for a middle relief inning. It's going to be those starts where the Phillies yeah. pitcher, starting pitcher can't get five. through five. And then, because I, I, I'm worried mostly about that fifth and sixth inning. Yep. Alvarado will pitch that six sometimes. Hector will pitch that six sometimes. But you need the starters to get through five and six. Mm -hmm. And obviously the worry is, when you need a spot start out of a Matt Moore or Chase Anderson, but oh, now you all... can't disrespect Matt Moore today, I mean, Dylan. I I cannot. You're right. He almost <laughs> threw. I mean, he threw six no hit innings on Saturday, which all the credit to him. The Phillies needed a huge <laughs> performance on Saturday out of him after losing Wheeler start on Friday, and that was huge. That was huge for him. But that's know. but that's what this team is like. Like people are, oh, I, I don't. This is the Phillies, you know. First of all, Zach Wheeler has had a bad. He, that's his first bad start in how yeah, long? 
You know, yeah, like he is allowed to have a bad game, one bad game. Yeah, go ahead and have it. There it was. But then you get a you get a six no hit game, six inning no hit game by Matt Moore. Like this is this is just what this team has been all year. You just don't know. Each night you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, which does make this team a little bit exciting, but it also makes them incredibly frustrating in that aspect because you think you would win the Wheeler start. Um, you don't, so you go into Saturday like, well, shit, we have Matt Moore on the mound. This ain't going to go well. He goes out and pitches a gem. The, the bullpen really pitches a gem. I mean, they gave up – who gave up the home – oh, Bradley. Oh, that's somebody in the bullpen I didn't even talk about who's also been pitching well. Bradley's been pitching well. You have Falter, who's been – when pitching pretty good. I mean, there is a lot working right for the Phillies. It's just it outside that eight game winning streak, it hasn't seemed like everything has lined up for the Phillies where the pitching and the hitting are hot at the same time. Yeah. And um, it doesn't help that uh Bryce Harper now probably won't win MVP because Tatis just decided to come back and hit two home runs today. Yeah. It was <laughs> And and uh, that was something I was about to talk about with Harper, but yeah, Bryce, and give credit to Bryce, he threw himself into this MVP conversation, even though he ha- doesn't have the traditional numbers for an MVP season. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it was always if Tatis came back and could stay healthy, because if Tatis plays the rest of the season, he's winning the MVP yeah. going away. But if something happens to Tatis, Harper's going to be in that conversation. Um because he, this is the Harper the Phillies signed up for. Yeah, he has been absolutely on fire over the last. But Dylan, Dylan, he hasn't hit forty home runs. He doesn't need to. <laughs> I mean, let's look at it. I mean, he's in two ninety eight on the year, twenty one home runs, twenty one home runs, forty seven RBIs. Also has a three eighty nine OP. On base percentage and a 980 OPS, and if you look at his 47 RBIs is pretty rough though. That's what sucks, and that's number everybody's being hanged up on. Yeah. But of course, I mean RBIs aren't indicative of how good a player has been because it's the one thing he really can't control if there's runners on. And what I think even drives that further is this season, when I'm getting to it here. Let me pull the stat on with runners in scoring position. Harper is three band three eleven a four fifty six on base percentage, twenty two RBIs, and seventy nine play appearances, sixty one in bats. The big number here that everybody worries about with Harper is he has one home run with runners in scoring position. But well, in his first tw- his first twelve were solo shots. I, I mean, <laughs> like I mean, if we're being honest. He has what. What do we say? How many home runs? He has 21, 21 home runs. Yeah. That means 20 of his home runs have been solo home runs this year. Yeah. That's, Sorry. And, uh, Sorry, no. 19 of his home runs have been solo. He and, has two home runs with runners on. Yeah, and like, he can't control that. No, but the other thing is, the other thing is, and I think while I was watching some of the Fox broadcasts on Saturday, is that the they brought up how Harper, when there is runners in scoring position, He's not he's not swinging for the fences. He's trying to put the ball in the gap and okay. gallop. Because here's the other thing that some people 
fail to realize that point, while home runs are nice, they can also be momentum killers for an offense. You have people on base, and then you hit a home run, you have nobody on base, and then you kind of have to start the whole thing over again from start to finish. If you have people on base, you get a double. Uh, Let's say you have first and second, you hit a double. One run scores, you have second and third then, and the chain just keeps going. Yeah, you'd like a home run in the middle there, but also, how many times have you seen a team rally, get a bunch of runs, singles, and then somebody comes up with a home run, it's maybe a three-run home run, cuts the lead down to two runs or something, but then the next two guys strike out. Uh, So... Harper, he he yeah, he shorts up his swing and he just tries to get the ball in the gap, and that's why he's hit three eleven with the runners in scoring position, and in sixty one at bats he struck out sixteen times. Yeah, like he's making contact almost seventy five eighty percent of the time when he's up with the runners in scoring position. Uh, I but he's yeah he's been great. Uh, like what he I even, wanted to talk about, he even has the like. Not attitude, but like the play style of Utley. That, yeah. like, and I think, you know, people really love that. Like, for example, his triple home run, whatever you want to call it. I mean, he recognized no one was at home plate. Yeah. And, and the only other guy I can think of that would dare to not only stretch it to a triple, but then just run straight to home plate is Utley. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's got the aggressiveness that Utley does. And, I mean, he there isn't a single day so far that we've seen where you're like, he's not trying. You know, yeah. and which everyone loves to bring up $330 million. You know, if, if he really didn't care, he would have got the bag and then he wouldn't be playing like this. Almost, like you said, MVP level. But here we are, and he's you know given it all he has. The only concern is injury with him. Yeah, and that's that's yeah, like I said, that's always a concern with him. Um, but I mean, over his last seven days, he's actually slowed down. He's only hitting two twenty two over his yeah. last six games, but and he's only hit three eleven over his last fourteen days. Only three eleven. You you would have loved to see him get a base hit instead of walk. Uh, today, by yeah. the way, with the bases loaded, I did think they were going to call that a strike three. By the way, I did too. <laughs> but that, and that's the other thing we talked, we were thinking about, like the Reds this series. Anytime Harper was up in any situation where he could do damage, except when they were already losing, when the Reds were already losing on Saturday, they pitched around Harper every time. He went, he had three walks today, and almost every time he could do damage. But like I said. Last 14 days, he's only hitting 311. Um, but still, he's only hit 311 the last 14 days, 222 the last seven days. But still, over his last 20 games, despite those numbers, he's still hitting 341. Yeah. Imagine being able to hit 222 over six games and 311 over 14 games, but your bad average for the last month basically is still over three. 40. I mean, that's how on fire he's been. And since the All-Star break, or over the second half of the season, 28 games, he's hit 341, 496 OBP, 1,200 OPS, six home runs, and 13 RBI. I mean, in 28 games. It's just, he's been ridiculous. Um, it's what you paid him for. 
Absolutely what they paid him for. Uh, but yeah, any of your thoughts on the Phillies here? I mean, the other thing we will be able to watch is if Wheeler can make a run to Cy Young. Friday night start isn't going to help that case. <laughs> but Dude, and that killed his ERA, didn't it? Like It, it went up to it yeah. went up a decent amount, which is so frustrating. Yeah, that because that ERA was something. Keeping to, him in the that talk. He, yeah, keeping him in the talk and the strikeouts and the innings pitched. Now, he still is going to get another 50-ish innings this year at least. So, it has a chance to come down. But he's really going to need to pitch really well over the next couple – or the next month to stay in this race. Um as of this recording, let's see what his numbers are. He's looking at ten and seven. Nobody win loss record really doesn't matter anymore. Uh, Two fifty six ERA, so not terrible. Uh, one hundred sixty two innings pitched, one hundred eighty seven strikeouts. But yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. We they need Aaron Noah to get on track. They need Eflin to come back. But but here's been here's here's why the Phillies are where they are and it's scary going in the stretch run. Wheeler, two fifty six ERA. Nova, four thirty five. Eflin four seventeen. All solid. Well no Nova could be better, but four thirty five you'd like to see today. around three, three something. Yeah, three five at the worst. Now Nola's ERA is gonna be a little higher today after they start. But Nola over the whole course of the season has been about average. But Velasquez, 595 ERA. Matt Moore, 607 ERA. Chase Anderson, 675 ERA. I mean, you, you do have Kyle Gibson, who now has a 3.180 ERA over three games, which is solid. But And then, of course, you have uh, everybody's favorite number five star in range, Flores, uh, who's been solid. But yeah, they, they need the star in rotation here to come up big over the next couple weeks. Uh, but, yeah, but like we said, we'll see what happens. They're getting Eflin back soon. They're getting uh, Hoskins back soon. Alvarado's on the 10-day. I'm sure he'll be back in the next couple week, week or so. Uh, and that, that really only leaves Vince Velasquez. Oh, I can't wait till I never have to, never have to hear Vince Velasquez's name. I will have a parade down Broad Street. You're going to have a parade for the the leaving of Vince Velasquez? Any other thoughts on the Phillies before we wrap this up? Not really. I mean, I I think the biggest thing so far is, I mean, since that COVID uh, issue they had, they've been generally healthy. Yeah. You know, like Hoskins, you know, you, you had the scare with Harper, but Harper only missed like two three games or whatever it was, not mm-hmm. even. Um, but, the, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, the bullpen or uh, Eflin and uh, I can't think of his name. Uh, but just in general, you know, like they've, they've been generally healthy and that can only help them. And now, like you said, Hoskins coming back and uh, Eflin coming back and, it, and maybe Sir Anthony Dominguez, hopefully soon we haven't seen yeah. him in a year almost year and a half two years it, things could be turning around especially like you said with the easier schedule ahead exactly and 
I don't know how the season's going to go, but honestly, at this point, I'm just thankful that we're sitting here on August 15th. We're halfway through August. Meaningful baseball. Phillies are playing meaningful baseball. They're in the heat of a pennant race. I mean, I mean, outside of last year, which was we knew with the bullpen it wasn't going to happen, even though they had a shot going into the last week of the season. I mean, yeah, it's we. It's been a long time since the Phillies have been playing meaningful baseball like this in August, and with the schedule, they have a great shot at making a run here. The only the only problem. The Braves have almost just an easy of a schedule. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think they're gonna make a run at that wild card. Um, San Diego is the leader of the wild card right now, and they're sitting. Uh, I don't know where they are to, after. To, I don't know what their stands are with the uh, updates today, but uh, yeah, uh, it, it's gonna be interesting. How do you feel? By the way, this is semi off topic. Yeah. How do you feel, uh, Gabe Kapler leading the? San Francisco Giants seventy six and forty two because we um, haven't gotten. I don't think we talked about it yet. You know, it's it's frustrating to see that success, but I think it comes down to it. It, it he the way he's doing it, and the Giants are doing it. It only works if you have full buy in from the team, the front office, and everybody involved i mean the it's very similar how the rays are the where the rays have total buy-in from everybody in the organization on how to do it the the problem is the giants had enough flexibility within their roster with role players and players you didn't expect to have be have impacts this year that you could go out and look for certain skills in each guy because that's what it comes down to you look for certain skills in each guy and to put together this team and the other thing is that they're unbeatable at home this year the 48 40 and 18 at home they're 36 and 24 on the road which is still really good but when you're going when you're 32 games above 500 at home not 32 22 games above 500 at home uh, you have a good chance of being really good but i mean good for gabe uh that i don't think that team's gonna win a world series this year and i don't know if they're gonna be able to sustain this success past this season i think it's a lot of also a perfect storm type season. Um, Cause I mean, Buster Posey is playing out of his mind and nobody expects surgeons. Yeah. Buster Posey. Um, yeah. But I mean, good for Gabe. But... <laughs> hey, it's, it's very tough to say good for Gabe after. What... <laughs> yeah. Like, like good for him for having success, but I hope they kind of flame out here. Yeah. They're not, but I uh, hope they do. That's all I got. I, we had, we hadn't gotten to talk about it. So, yeah, no, and uh, I was actually checking uh, the wild card standings uh, just one last time quickly here, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, any any thoughts at all on anything before we wrap? Uh, I'm kind of excited for the Flyers. This is totally random, but uh, the moves they made, we didn't get to talk about Rasmus Ristolainen yet. We, we, we got some catching up to do, but uh, we didn't get to talk about Rasmus or uh, the Jake trade. And all that, so we uh we do got you know we got to talk about that, but um they made some uh, exciting moves. They weren't they're not necessarily Stanley Cup winning moves, but yeah. uh it's fresh. I think that's the word for the Flyers going into the year is it's fresh. It's a newish core. 
you know, uh, G's still there, but as a whole, I mean, it's totally different. Nolan Patrick's gone. Jake's gone. No Brian Elliott. So, yeah. So, uh, I'm I'm kind of getting fired up at the same time. Yeah, I, I'm starting to get there. Uh, and then with the Phillies, uh, as we wrap here, Phillies going into Monday sit one game out of first place, and then at least, as we said, and they sit five games back in the wild card. Uh, so it, it's likely going to be NL East, or I mean, yeah, it's going to have to be NL East or bust because I mean, the Braves aren't. The Braves would be four games out of the wild card at this point. Um, so, yeah, unless the Braves really just run away with this stand and the Phillies also kind of run away, but somehow. You do get it, it credit, by the way. No, absolutely. No. I mean, the Braves, it seems like the Braves were had a, str- a lot of bad luck this year, too. Because, I mean, their run differential is plus 72. Their expected win-loss is 66 and 52. The Phillies' expected win loss at minus eighteen run differential is fifty-seven and sixty-one. These teams should be nine games apart. They're one game apart. That's probably why the Phillies won't win the division. Just because overall, you would think trends and averages and everything will work itself out how it should be over the laws of whatever you want to call it. but, well, and they're shooting. Yeah. They're setting themselves. If they keep shooting themselves in the foot like they've been with these errors, you know, I mean, you're you not. You can't play solid baseball. Exactly. In a, in a time like this, um, yeah. And then it'll be interesting to see what the Mets do. They're two games out now. Oh, well, the games, Mets. Six games back in the wild card. Four and six in the last ten. They've lost their last two. Uh, yeah. They so suck. that'll be interesting. They Dude, they do they, suck. They suck. All right, just and, flat out. Yeah, and I mean, going back to the expected win loss, you can't take it all for word because I mean, the Marlins are fifty-one and sixty-seven entering Monday, and their expected win loss is fifty-eight and sixty because they have a minus nine run, run differential. But it is what it is, uh, and I guess with that we'll wrap it. So thank you everybody for listening to this episode of Cheese Six and Seven Level Podcast. Uh, we're glad to be back talking. Philly sports with you guys uh and we should be back on a regular schedule going forward so we'll be back next week uh maybe we'll talk about flyers next week uh depending on how the phillies do here and yeah. what goes on with the eagles this week in uh new england. training with camp new england. against against and against new england so uh exciting times football season's right around the corner uh, yeah we'll talk to you guys uh next week see you